Shalom, everyone. This is Zion Hebraic Congregation with me, Luke Tanner. Uh, this week's Shabbat message is by me from the book of John, chapters 2 and 3. Feel free to check out our website, zionhebraiccongregation.com. There you will find archived Shabbat messages, uh, blogs by my dad. You can subscribe to those blogs in the little subscribe box there. You can put your email in. There's also links on our website there to our social media accounts like Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also subscribe to uh, our Shabbat messages on your favorite podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Enjoy. <laughs> Mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does lie only away. For soon is the day when we see your face on the mount of your grace and zero. Oh, zero. So, we're going to start in John chapter 2. We're going to try to go through two and three today and kind of pull out of it good stuff. Of the Gospels, I would say that John, the book of John is my favorite because just the way that he writes it, it's, he, uh, he puts, it's not really, not really accurate to say this statement per se, but he puts Yeshua in such a dynamic light and the way that he records what Yeshua said and what he did. It's just very different. I don't know. It has a different feel. And uh, it's really good. And it's, it's one of those books where, personally, I think it's imperative to have read the rest of the Bible before you read John. Because if you haven't read the rest of the Bible, by the time you get to the book of John, so much will be lost on you. Especially, too, if you don't have a basic understanding of what was going on in the first century. The Bible is a book that has to be read in context, like on, in con- historical context, like any other book of the Bible. And so if you don't have a little bit of understanding there, it, you know, you'll, you'll, you might struggle a little bit. Because you can't take 2019 mindsets and ideas and try to like pack it in there or pack the Bible into our, our saying. So, I don't know. That's all free. But so um, just a little recap on John um, chapter one. You have the famous opening verse. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything uh, made that was made. In him was life. Life was the light of men, blah, blah, blah. It keeps going on. And so it talks about basically this idea that Yeshua was in the beginning. He was with God. He was the Word of God. By and through him, all things were made. And so he's laying out this idea uh, that, and, and this truth, I should say, that Yeshua is from the beginning because he is one with the Father. He is one with God, and all things were made through him. And so it's not like he popped on the scene all new and things are changing. He is harmonious with uh, the Father in all things that he does and has done. And that's why uh, the Bible, we see it as one book, that is not two separate things. It's not the angry God in the Old Testament and the, you know, the God of love in the New Testament, because you can find really good uh, illustrations of amazing amounts of mercy and 
long-suffering that God has in the Old Testament. And then you read in the New Testament, we're going to read about Yeshua making his own whip so he can drive people out of the temple. That's pretty violent. Uh, he had some harsh words to say, and we'll get into why that was and what was going on, because when you understand, that's part of the reason why I love the book of John, when you understand what was going on in the first century, so you have, there is a little quick historical recap. Right now, the, the Judah, with a mixture of some other tribes, Benjamin and Levi, are still in the land, but they're kind of, uh, they're down mostly in the area in the, around Jerusalem in the south, known as Judah. There's Samaria to the north. They're looked at as kind of like those poor suckers up there because they were very much intermingled with um, foreign nations, and so they looked at them as half-breeds. That's why you have the whole Good Samaritan uh, 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 parable, that's what I'm trying to say, uh, and why the priest walked around him, because we don't associate with those unclean people. And so there's all these multiple dynamics going on, as well as they're an occupied people by the Romans, and they um, are subservient to them to some degree. But, but the Romans aren't stupid. They know that they need to align themselves with the leaders of the communities, and so they get into bed with, and the, and the, the Sadducees and, and the Pharisees to some degree, commingle with their leadership with the Romans. And so um, you have all these multiple social, social, um, uh, financial, and political dynamics going on, as well as the Word of God itself, who was given to these people, the priests, uh, the Jewish leadership, to be upheld and to be maintained they were using it to extort the people. They were using it to their own ends. They were using the temple to extort the people. And so Yeshua shows up on the scene and they're expecting, sweet, the Messiah's here. He's going to set up his, his kingdom. He's going to defeat the Romans. He's going to kick them all out. We're going to rebuild the kingdom and the tribes will come back and we'll have Israel reborn, right? Well, yes and no. What Yeshua basically comes and tells them is that I am here to have the nation be born again, but it starts in the individual hearts and lives of my people. I can't make a kingdom without people to be in it and people that have a heart to follow their king, their Messiah. And so that's why he comes. He says all that he does. He lives out the word of God. He does these miracles. He proves who, he, who and what he was. And he... Um, says, you know, I'm here to, to call out and, and to seek the lost sheep of the houses of Israel who've been scattered abroad and all those that will join themselves unto him. And thus the end times begin as Israel is going to um, be gathered back. First, there's going to be a dispersion because he's got to get them out of, out of Jerusalem because otherwise they would stay there. So that's all kind of background nutshell. So... Um, so, so we've got the, uh, the beginning, first chapter there. He was the light. Um, and uh, what else do we want to... Well, and then you get John the Baptist baptizing and uh, starting out the ministry of Yeshua. And, um, you know, you get into verse 36 of chapter 1. And looking upon Yeshua, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And again, these are... He didn't just throw this out there randomly. You know, it's, it's, you know, where do you come up with that? Do you just pull that out of the air? This is the Lamb of God. So all these things are supposed to be like, bing, oh yeah, Passover. God gave his people a lamb 
to take their place so that they could leave Egypt so that they could be his firstborn son because those that were in, stayed in Egypt died, the firstborn died. And so you have all these concepts wrapped in here. And that's why when he says the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, it's a really big deal. It's a really big deal. And that's why the Pharisees came out to see him. And they were always saying, you know, who, who gives you the authority to do these things? You know, you're not, who's your teacher? Like what school are you in? Where'd you go to, where'd you go to college? You know, who's your professor? Um, how do we know who, how do I know you are who you say you are? And he says, oh yeah? But, you know, he does amazing things. So, <laughs> uh, okay, so then, um, anything else I want to hit on? Uh, there's a whole bunch, but we're, we, don't have, we don't have time for that. All right, chapter two, we'll keep moving on. So we're going to read chapter two and chapter three. And we'll see how far we get. So first let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I do thank you for this day and for your word. that It is recorded and it's preserved for us that we can uh, read it, learn from it, apply it to our lives, go forth, be part of your kingdom, be part of rebuilding your people and your kingdom, a people prepared for you so that you, when you do return, you have a kingdom that is ready uh, to stand with you. So um, I just pray that you would work in our hearts and lives, that we would uh, be be critical of ourselves, look at ourselves and, and compare ourselves to the image of Yeshua so that we would uh, work on those parts of ourselves that are not what they should be. So I thank you for all this in Yeshua's name. Amen. All right. So chapter two, verse one. The third day, there was a marriage in Canaan of Galilee and the mother of Yeshua was there. And both, uh, Yeshua, and both Yeshua was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Yeshua said unto him, They have no wine. And Yeshua said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother said unto her servants, Whatsoever he says unto you, do it. And there were, I find always that interesting. So obviously she knew he could do a miraculous thing. You know, which makes me wonder if he was kind of like... This is probably stupid, but, you know, zapping things or whatever. You know, if he, you know, how would, why would she think that he could do something miraculous with the wine if he hadn't done anything before, right? I don't know. It's kind of like the sci-fi show where it's like the kid or like um, the Incredibles and they don't think the little kid has any powers, but he actually does. Kind of like that, you know? I don't know. I don't know. It's where my mind goes. So, uh, so anyway, she's like, Whatever he says, you could do it, you know? And so I'm picturing Yeshua like, Mom. <laughs> All right, so there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews concerning, uh, uh, containing two or three frickins apiece. So again, when it says things like uh, six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, so they had a whole system by which they would purify vessels, which had nothing to do with whether or not they had dirt or germs on them. It had everything to do with, I'm using air quotes if you're listening to this, spiritual and or ritual purity, which I personally, I personally don't buy. I don't think that there's any ritual, again, air quotes, in the Bible. I believe everything was done for a specific, specific, specific physical I'll put it this way, a specific seen physical and unseen spiritual 
purpose. I don't think things, I, I don't believe that God is a God who said, uh, wants random things done just to see how many hoops we can jump through. That's, that's not the God I serve. Everything has a purpose and a point, and um, most of the time it's just beyond our understanding until we get smart enough to slowly kind of get little flickers of why. So, um, so, but the point being, they would do ritual purifications which were not based on the Word of God because of their own cultural traditions that they, that they had produced within themselves. This is the Jewish leadership of the day. But then they would inflict that upon everyone else around them and say, if you don't do these things, you're not right with God and you're unclean. You're not um, holy. You're not set apart because... Um, I'm not even going to get into the, all the illustrations. It's a rabbit hole. So, um, so anyways, they were like that. Seven. Yeshua said unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. And when the rule of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, he, uh, uh, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, but when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, then that which was worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Yeshua in Cana of Galilee, and manifest forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. So his first miracle, major miracle that we know of, other than whatever Mary saw, that uh, Miriam saw, that uh, she knew. And so uh, you have this, when I find it interesting too, it's like he says that it says the, the, and the disciples believed on him, but you'll read that multiple times and they believed on him and they believed on him. So it's like, did they believe and then they didn't believe? I don't think so. I think it was just kind of how you have multiple realizations of how good, or like a musician, for instance, you'll hear him play one song and you're like, wow, that guy is just amazing. And you know he's amazing. Then you'll hear another song. Wow, that guy's super amazing. I don't know. Maybe it's something kind of like that. Um, but this, this uh, clear, miraculous display of power um, proved to them on some level that he was uh, more than just a regular dude, just a regular teacher. All right, so, uh, so that's the beginners of the miracles. Uh, verse 12. And there's a whole bunch, like, I'm not going to get into it today, but there's tons of drawn-out meaning as to why that's important, why that was his first miracle, what it means in messianic, uh, in relation to things messianic. So, uh, 12. After this, he went down to Capernaum. He, his mother, and his brethren, and his disciples, and they continued not uh, there not many days. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Yeshua went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple, those that sold oxen and sheep and doves, the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers money and overthrew the tables. And he said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, make not my father's house and house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house has eaten me up. So, I mean, it must have just been intense. So I don't know. How does that work? Like, he, he didn't just walk in there, obviously, and fly off the handle. He, like, went in there. He's like, okay. 
goes home, makes his thing, goes in, and just starts beating the HE double hockey sticks out of them, which I think is awesome. And the reason it's awesome is because they had made the house of God, the temple, a place of merchandise, and they had made the people merchandise. It says in the prophets that the, the, the teachers and the leaders are um, eating the fat of the flock and they're fleecing them and they're taking so because what was happening at the time in the temple so again kind of back onto this uh purification standards issue that was going on at the temple at the time what would happen is say you've got a sheep you're going to go down to jerusalem you want to sacrifice and offer that sheep unto god as an as a, as a sacrifice or an offering well you can't use your sheep you can go down to Jerusalem and you can sell your sheep to get money, but then you have to exchange that money for temple-minted money. And there's exchange rates in all of this. Then you can take that temple-minted money and you could buy their approved sheep. And so you had multiple layers of extortion going on where they were, uh, it was all inflation, uh, inflated, and so you know, what you would say you were buying, you could uh, get, normally get 20 bucks for your sheep. Well, you were buying, by the time that you changed your money and bought the new sheep, you're spending 100 bucks on that sheep. And so they were using the people's pathway to serve their God and to honor them as a way to exploit and make money. Oh. And if that's not still happening today, I mean, it doesn't take much looking to see that happening today. People in prominent positions using their positions to get money from the people and to use the people for nefarious things. So that's what he was mad at. He wasn't mad at uh, even people going down and buying sheep and things to, to be able to sacrifice. It wasn't mad about the sacrifices. It wasn't mad about the temple. Uh, he was mad that they were in there exploiting the people who were trying to go to, to, to Jerusalem to serve God and they were getting exploited. And so uh, he rips them a new one. So, uh, 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 so he makes his car, he drives them out, uh, and his disciples are just kind of like, whoa. But they remember what was written. And 18, uh, then answered the Jews and said, and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? So in other words, they're saying again, What's your authority? They always want a sign from heaven or a sign from God that you are who you say you are. Like, what are your credentials? So if you're going to go and upset the hierarchy, what has been established, uh, the, the regulations of what's going on, you better have an authoritative reason to do it. So that's where they're, they're, they're saying. And Yeshua says unto them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And they said, then said the Jews, 40 and six years was this temple in building. Wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Yeshua had said. So the, the, I find it so fascinating, the answer that he, you know, they're like, what sign will you give us seeing that you do these things? Like by what authority? Essentially, he's saying, I do it by my own authority. I am the Shekinah of glory, God himself in the flesh, who is in the temple. I am the authority. I am God himself. And that's why he said, because he references his death and resurrection. 
And so then the, uh, uh, the disciples, when he, when he does die and rise again, they, they believe the scripture and the word of God. 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name. And when they saw the miracles, which he did. So when it says that many believed in his name, uh, uh, it, it had... Oh, he, Hebraic thought process, a biblical thought process, is when they say the name, it means the authority behind them, like who is giving them their, their authority. And so when they say they believe um, in the power of his name, where was I? Uh, yeah, they believe in his name, his authority, and when, when they saw the miracles, which he did. So he was validating, he was being validated by the things that he was doing. Uh, but Yeshua did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man for he knew what was in man. All right, moving on to chapter three. Uh, and there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So you got this guy, he's a high ranking official. He's a ruler, uh, more than likely of the Sanhedrin, one of the 70 elders that were basically the governing body. It would be like our, our Congress or the um, uh, Parliament would almost be a better way to think of it. And so he was a ruler and he was a Pharisee. Pharisee, basically uh, rabbinic Judaism, Orthodox, I use that term very loosely, but Orthodox rabbinic Judaism traces its roots all the way back to the Pharisees. They, that's what they say. That's not what I'm saying. They, they say that. And um, so the same... Verse 2, came to Yeshua by night. So he's, he's kind of going incognito because he, um, this is a little bit of a dicey thing that he's doing because they, the, the authority does not like, the leadership of the day does not like Yeshua because he's, again, like I talked about, there's this whole huge system that they have going on and he waltzes in and lambasts it and they kind of, don't know what to do about it, and the people all like him, and he's doing miracles, and that's, that's why they want to kill him, because he's usurping their authority and their control. And so, you know, this is a big deal, what's going on. So he's, he's thinking, all right, I gotta, I gotta talk to this guy. So he goes at night to talk to Yeshua, because he's kind of like, well, we'll read it here. Uh, the same came to Yeshua by night, verse 2, and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou dost, except God be with him. So he understands that there's something more to this guy than meets the eye, that he's at least some sort of a prophet. And Yeshua answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I just love how he just lays that on him. First thing, it's like you have Nicodemus, right? Sanhedrin ruler of the people, you know, you can't get much higher. You can't get higher. He, he's it. Like, everybody wants to uh, strive and achieve to the point where he is. And so, and he goes and he says, you know, we know that you must be sent from God because you're doing all these miracles and this is pretty amazing. And Yeshua just, just, just levels him off at the knees and says, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom, can't see the kingdom of God. Well, and that's pretty much lost on uh, Nicodemus because, again, you have to understand they, the Jewish leadership, 
and the thought process of the day. That's why John and Yeshua, they were so controversial because they had strayed so far from the scriptures. The scriptures have always taught that it has nothing to do with the blood that's in your veins or the works that you do. It's always by God's grace and mercy that he chooses you, that you can be adopted as sons of God. That's how it's always been from the beginning. Abel, Noah, Abraham, all the way on down. It's always been that way. Well, because of things that happened after the Babylonian captivity and then during the Maccabean era and the occupations that they were under, they strayed from the scriptures. They started to create their own oral traditions, their own laws and ways. And what they taught was, you were in the kingdom of God. You were a citizen of God's kingdom. You were a child of God because you were born into it, because of your heritage. Or you could become a proselyte, and you could go through a certain ceremony to kind of sort of become a member of the kingdom of God. So Yeshua is saying, actually, no. It doesn't matter what family you were born into, and it doesn't matter how much good works that you do, you are not in the kingdom of God of your own accord. You must be adopted. How do you adopt a child? You go to the adoption agency and you adopt that child. The kid has nothing to do with it. So this is the lesson he's teaching Nicodemus. So Nicodemus is, he's like, wow, okay. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? So you see, this isn't lost on him. He's still trying to filter it through his own thought process that He's saying, okay, I got to be born again. I'm in the kingdom because I was born. My mom was Jewish. So he's like, you're losing me here. I, I, I can't go back into my mom and be born again another time Jewish and be in the kingdom. And she was saying, no, no, you're, you're missing it. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. So he's saying, no, you're, you're thinking wrong here, Nicodemus. You need to be born again spiritually. And again, keep in mind what I talked about when I said spirit, it's, it's something unseen. It's something God does when he adopts us as children, that he puts his seed, his DNA, his word, his spirit inside of us because we're all born with an Adamic nature with the seed of man, Adam, I believe, and that needs to be replaced with the word of God. And so uh, he doesn't quite understand all this. So that's why he's kind of trying to give him this lesson. Lesson Eight, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and now hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? And Yeshua answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak what we do know, and testify of what we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I had told you earthly things, and you believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you heavenly things? So, he's saying, you don't, you, you have, uh, essentially what he's telling them, if you've missed the point of, of the lessons that are in the stories of the history of Israel, basically. And so since you don't understand these physical representations and stories of things that happen in the heavenly, in the unseen, in the spiritual realm, I can't, I can't explain to you 
spiritual things. Because you, we as people, we can't even conceptualize God, basically. He's, he's spirit. He's outside of our abilities and our realm of understanding. And so he has to give us something within the tangible realm by which we can understand how he functions and operates in his nature. That's why he gives us his word. That's why he gives us the creation, because all things give him the glory. And so he's saying, I can't, if you misunderstand the physical, if you skew the physical representation and you distort it and you misunderstand it, then you're going to misunderstand the greater spiritual, bigger picture that it's this concept that it's supposed to be taught. All right, so, uh, so he's going to try to explain the physical for Nicodemus. So, uh, da, da, where was I? Okay, uh, 13. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So, He's talking about, so he takes him back to Moses in the wilderness with a serpent. If you remember that story, the people are grumbling and complaining. God sends snakes. They bite them. They're all dying. They say, ah, forgive us, God. You know, we've sinned. And so God says, all right, uh, make a serpent, put it on a pole, put it up. If the people look on it and believe, they'll be healed. And so same thing with Yeshua. If they will look upon the, 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 uh, the serpent, the look upon Yeshua, they'll be saved, you know, if they look to him. It's the same thing because that's what, it's this idea, which is a little bit weird, but it's that, that which curses you also can bless you and save you. So if you accept Yeshua, you're blessed and you live. If you deny Yeshua, then you die by Yeshua because he's coming back with a sword and there's judgment. So it's the same thing in the wilderness. So again, he's saying, if, you, if you're missing the physical story, if you're skewing it so that you don't understand the spiritual reality and the, the, the moral story behind it, you know, I can't do much with you. But it was because Nicodemus was stuck on his own skewed understanding. Um, 16, so he's a famous verse, we all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shouldn't perish, perish, but have everlasting life. Why? For God sent not his world, Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Again, that the name being authority. So he that believed, beginning of 18, on him is not condemned. Again, keep in mind the picture of the, the serpent that Moses put up in the wilderness. They had to look on it and believe. And if they did, they weren't condemned. But um, he that believeth not is condemned already. If they didn't believe, and if they just laid in their tents and died and said, this is ridiculous, I'm not going to go look at a stupid bronze serpent, this is retarded, well, then they died because they didn't believe. So he's, he's trying to, he's, he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying here, Nicodemus. Like, come on, buddy. Um, 8.19 And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Which is just so true. I mean, if, if your deeds are evil, you're just not going to like the light. For everyone that doth evil hateth the light and neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light. 
that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. So he gives Nicodemus a whole lesson in salvation, what it means to be a child of God, how you become right standing with God. Uh, because the leadership of the day was teaching that you had to have the right bloodline heritage and then you had to do these right things. And Yeshua said, no, you know, no man comes to the Father but by me. 22, after these things came Yeshua and his disciples into the land of Judea. There he tarried with them and baptized. So now he's baptizing people. Uh, and John also was baptizing in and on, Anion, however you say that, near to Salim, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast in prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came and said unto John, and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond the Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizes, and all men come to him. So they're saying, again, this idea of, of uh, uh, who's the... Who's the teacher? Who's the rabbi here? He's saying, like, well, you baptized him. And so, nor like, why now is he going baptizing people? If you, you know, aren't you supposed to be under him? And so John answers and said, a man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. So he's saying, no, authority comes from God, first and foremost. You yourself bear witness, bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but that I am sent before him. And he that, the bride, uh, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, uh, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. So he's saying he's the friend of the bridegroom. He's not the Messiah. He's not superior. He's not above him. And um, so they're, they're both, because they're both in the ba wilderness baptizing. And typically you would baptize your disciples, essentially, those who followed your teachings back in the day. And um, the whole idea of baptizing being, you know, you were heading one way, now you need to be cleansed to head another way. Uh, 30. He must increase, but I must dis 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 decrease. <laughs> I can't say that word. Uh, so he's setting the, uh, the hierarchy straight, saying no Yeshua is the primary one. I just was the facilitator. 31. He that cometh from above is above all, and he that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. For uh, the Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. And he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son, sh uh, believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So he's kind of laying out uh, Yeshua's authority and his preeminence, and that all things are under him that he's the son of God, come from God, and that um, you have to trust and accept him and be born again to uh, have everlasting life. Otherwise, the wrath will abide 
on you, just like when Yeshua was talking to Nicodemus. So that's all I wanted to go through today. Hopefully it was good. Hopefully you can uh, take something from that and um, live out more of the Word of God. But I just love reading about Yeshua and just how it's written in, um, in the book of John because it's so, just I don't know, multidimensional and... I love the how uh, the how Yeshua's words are recorded, and what he says, and how uh, obviously he had a master of uh, a mastery of words and the Bible and Scripture, and could use it perfectly in its perfect setting and timing. Um, so it's pretty amazing, amazing that we get to read it and learn from it. So let's pray. Heavenly Father God, I thank you for this day, for your word, uh, for this Shabbat, for this time and place to gather together. To hear from your word, help us just to uh, remain uh, diligent servants of you, that we would walk after you and your ways and, and be transformed into your image and that we would uh, work to bring ourselves into subjection, that we might um, live a holy and, and, and righteous life. So I just thank you for your word. Give us a good rest of Shabbat. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. Hey